What makes you worry? Not if you worry, what makes you worry? I'm going to assume it. If, if you made a list and, um, and just said the things that, that replay constantly in your mind, they just go over and over, you can't, they unsettle you, they, they're in your subconscious, in your sleep, uh, they, they distract you, they consume you, they, they just exhaust you. Let me, let me just ask this, okay? We talk real life around here. What, what's, made, what's got you worried right now? Okay, just take that and, and think about that because today we're going to see something in the Bible that sounds a little bit like it's unrealistic, but it's so significant. I believe that it's actually the pivot point of everything that Paul the Apostle, speaking for God, writes to his friends in a, a church plant he planted in Philippi. We're in the book of Philippians. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take a look. Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 4. Book of Philippians, chapter 4. And... and the author right now is going to say something that it's like he can't contain himself. He, is, he wants so badly for people to hear this and get this that he says it. In fact, he's going to repeat it. If you get to Philippians 4, verse 4, he's going to say, and he's saying a word he said a little bunch of times. He says, rejoice. I want you, you have the capacity to have joy in the middle of stuff. I'm inviting you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. That'll come back later. And he says, and then he says, it's like he can't stand it. He says, no, I'm going to say it again for repetitive sake, to, to, just to drive this home. I, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. It's so important. And in this, in this uh, letter that he wrote, he uses words. He uses the, a word for rejoice nine times in this little letter. He uses words like peace. You know, rejoice, by the way, is not be happy. Rejoice is to have an internal celebration of the advance of God's kingdom. Just tuck that away somewhere. And he talks about being content, which is to have, just to be okay with what way things are. And he's, then he uses, he's going to use the word peace. There's a peace he's going to describe, and it's, he's, it's kind of a soul-level rest. He, he's got these things he's going to say, and, he, and the way we get to them or how he's going to describe them is going to show up in a way that I want you to watch with me as we get to chapter 4, verse 5. All right, so he has that as the umbrella statement. And now he says this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, that just sounds like nice, positive language, Right? I want you to look at that phrase again because they're actually the construction of the grammar here is going to create something. There are are actually two sides and something in the middle. He's going to juxtapose two things that are possible in your life. And on one, he's going to use the word gentleness. And on the other word, he's going to use the word anxious. That word is the same word that gets used all through the the New Testament as, and it's a word we can use for worry. So we're going to show you this and show uh, juxtapose two different things that you can experience. Gentleness on one side and worry on the other side. So he's going to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. And he's going to say, don't be anxious or don't worry on the other side. Now, the word they use is there for anxious or worry is uh, merabnao, which it means to be divided or distracted. It has a, this... It has a picture of kind of something that happens and you, you tense, you panic. It, 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 gets, it exercises you. It's in your life and you're bracing because of its presence or its potential presence in your life. Now, 
that's on one side. In fact, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a, a scholar who wrote about this, he talked about the words that get used in the Bible uh, for, for that. This, listen to what he says. The words in the language of the Bible, Greek, Hebrew and Greek, mean to be distracted, to be divided. And then he says the Hebrew equivalent to this word is, it actually literally means to be shaken as if you, like you have some, like something in the mouth of a dog. When a dog's shaking something and you feel like you're the thing in the dog's mouth, and, and so in the Old Testament, he says, it says the righteous shall not be shaken. It means the righteous don't worry. That there means something happens that makes it that you're not being shaken like a rag doll. He, so he says, worry goes round and around and around. It's like a merry-go-round. It, it just keeps going. It doesn't, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's around and around. You get a thought in your head and it gets you. It keeps going around and around. Let me just ask you, what's got you worried right now? Something that could happen, something that's in the middle of happening right now. There is a risk that's going on. There's a potential loss that's going on. There's something that's already experienced, and it's got you worried. Now, I'm going to introduce two other words that kind of, I, I think, kind of grasp what these two things are. And they are the words clenched and unclenched. Because the word for worry has that kind of picture, that that thing has the, the capacity in you that you clench up when it happens. When you think about it, it tightens you. It makes you um, exercise. And on the other side is this phrase. Because you know what? When I used to study this passage, I'd look at that and I'd go, that little phrase is in there. It hardly, I don't even know why it's there. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It kind of just sounds like, hey, you know, give people hugs. Okay, now back to the other stuff. That's not what it's saying at all. These two phrases are in contrast, they're in conflict with each other. On one side is this thing that happens internally that is worry, that is clenched. The other side, he says, you have the capacity to be gentle, which kind of means to be unclenched, kind of softened, kind of, kind of re- relaxed or slow. There's a quiet confidence about what's going to happen. There, it's the opposite of panic. You're just kind of unclenched. Now, here's what's funny. Paul, in writing this letter, says something that sometimes I go, well, this is just some Bible dude talking because he's not real. You know, this is not real life. But he is saying to these people, this is why he's so emphatic about it. He's saying, there is, God can do something in your world and in your life that can shift you from one side to the other, from being clenched to unclenched. And he says, I got to tell you, that's what's happened in me. Later on in chapter four, he's going to say, I found I've learned the secret of this. And you see it reflected all through. We've already seen some of these verses. If you just you just hear this in, in Philippians 1, 4. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, he uses this phrase. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me. And he's imprisoned, by the way, right? He's suffering. But what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In verse chapter 1, verse 18, his perspective on, on what's going on comes further. It says, you know, he talks about people who are doing things for the wrong motives. He goes, but what does it matter? The important thing, in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I'm re- I rejoice. I'm, I'm good. I'm unclenched about what's going on. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. He says, guys, do everything without complaining or arguing. In other words, the other side comes out of this where you're tense he says, you don't have to have that. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, now, look, even, he's talking about he, the possibility he could be put to death. He goes, 
even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the, sac- uh, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. I rejoice with all of you. You too should be glad and rejoice with me. In chapter 4, verse 10, he's going to say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. In verse 12, he's, he's going to say this. We'll see this in a couple weeks. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I mean, does, does he really? You know, I'm, I'm picturing like Paul's this dude sitting on the beach with dreadlocks listening to Bob Marley songs. I mean, he's like, you know, it's all good. It's all right. What's the pivot point? He's going to say something. And when you hear it, hang on with me. When you hear it, you're going to go, okay, whatever. But it's going to be tied in. If you've been with us through this, you're going to understand that there's, a, there's something really significant in this phrase. And it's another phrase that's tucked into Philippians 4 that's between these two juxtaposed ideas, clenched and unclenched, and is the pivot point. If you look in that verse, verse uh, five, you'll see it. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says this. Kurios, the Lord, he's near. The Lord is near. You go, well, what's that mean? Of course he's near. Isn't God everywhere? Yeah, but he's near. Now, there's a couple different things that when the Bible talks about the Lord being near, it can mean. Some, for some, it could be, it, it might be talking about relationally. He's near to you in personal proximity to you. He's near to you in connection and in space. And this comes as a result of having your sins forgiven, come into faith in Jesus Christ as your forgiver and your savior of your life, to establish him as the one you trust in and believe in, and he becomes near to you. That's what Psalm 145, 18 means when it says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. There's a relational nearness. He adopts you into his family and he says, I got you, I'm close to you. Now it can also mean, when it says the Lord is near, the Bible sometimes talks about what we could say eschatologically, which means like the, what's, where this is all going. That he's going to return someday, he's going to establish his kingdom, he's going to right what's wrong, he's going to take care of things, he's going to bring everything to good completion. And so he's near in time, meaning that day is coming closer and closer. He's got a coming kingdom and he's going to restore things. That kind of near, Lord is near, is what James 5 is talking about when it says this. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So you got this two different options with this pivot point in between. The Lord is near, is between those two. Now what that means, and I personally believe that probably both of those elements of his nearness are in play here because of the context of what he's been saying about a relationship with the risen Christ. He's near because he's made you his own and he's made some promises to you. He's near because he's going to establish his kingdom and where he's going with this, he's going to show you he knows where he's going with it. You put all that together and there's something, something connected to the Lord's nearness that, sw- that swings the effect internally or has the capacity to anyway. That when things come into our life, we can be clenched or we can be unclenched about them. And so what happens is something, something uncertain come, is introduced into our lives. Something we weren't expected, something we don't want, something we're not prepared for. You had anything like that happen lately? Something comes into our life. And, it, and we 
are going to respond to it. We can either clench up, and, and that's what we'll naturally do, and the weight will tip us one direction. Or we can see something that's true about him. That, w- that if he's near, there are some things that are true about him. There, in fact, there are three things that are true about the Lord. If you've been around here, you've heard them, and you're going to hear them until you're blue. Right? We're on blue. One of us is going to be, we're all going to be blue in the face. And these three things are promised, and, and the Apostle Paul says these are, these are not just sentiment, they are true. That God is good. What he is doing, he has good plan for those. He, he, he is, plans good for those who love him. There's an absolute guarantee that everything that's introduced in our life is superintended over by God, and he wants to accomplish something good for you. You can bank on that. The second truth, God is in control. He knows exactly what's going on. He's superintending over it. He has a plan in place. This is going to go somewhere. And the third thing is, God will prevail. His kingdom will come. He will right what is wrong. He will, he will deliver on his promises. He, and, and where you sit right now, wherever you stand, whatever your situation, those if you know him, if you put your trust in him, you can ironclad bet on it. It is, it is sealed and it will be delivered that those three things are true. The Lord who brings those things is near. He's right there in the middle of that with you. So that means that that is true at this very moment. See, this is where I don't want this to just be, don't just let this be a God talk. We need to let this penetrate to what's going on in your life right now. And I'll tell you how easy it is for this to, to, to be challenged. Because I've been trying to live this, right? I've been trying to remember that in the moment. And then this week, we had a big rainstorm on, what was it, Wednesday night? Wednesday night over, overnight. Big rainstorm. It's made a lot of noise, all this kind of stuff. On Thursday morning, my wife comes up from the basement. She's just very matter of fact. And she says, you know, there's something I saw downstairs. The carpet's a little wet. But it's weird because the carpet is, is wet in like splotchy places. And then there's this place on the top of the counter down there where there's water, like a little pool of water on the top of the counter. I don't get it. I, it seems weird. And I heard that news and you know what happened to me? I clenched. I didn't choose to clench. It just happened. Water in the basement? Are you freaking kidding me? Oh my goodness, what am I, so she goes, hey, oh, hold on, on, and I'm, I'm bolting, I go down the steps, and I'm looking, and there is like, it's weird, man, there's like spots, and I don't know what's going on, and I see it's kind of configured around this one corner of our basement, and I remember that I made the mistake a couple months ago of replacing our own sump pump. Now, our sump pump is in, co- co- there's like a counter on top of that, and there's like drywall. It's drywalled in a little corner. So, now, so we have this little place that's cut out. So if you ever need to get to it, you have to kind of get down and crawl in there and, and do the work. And I'm a bearer. You, those of you know me, it's the Bernardo curse, right? I've carried it for generations. My men in our family have carried it. We're proud. There's a ceremonial bloodletting every time you try to work. <laughs> that always happens. And then it is the capacity to take common household repairs and turn them into major industrial accidents. That is the Bernardo curse. We carry it. We live it. 
It never fails. Cleveland may have removed its curse this week. The Bernardo curse is alive and well. And there it is because I realized that and I go, oh boy. And I, so I pull the little opening. I look in and the sump pump has a tube that comes up and there's one that goes this way and there's a coupling in the middle and it is separated from it. Which means that the water has been not going, not, and it's just mocking me. You tried to do this yourself. There, you know what? There's like two, one, two screws. There's two screws to fix this. Doesn't matter. Go, oh, boy. Oh, boy. So I reach in. I'm leaning in through the little opening. My wife is behind me. I take the, the thing, and I turn it up, and I, and I don't re- realize at the time that the sump pump is still plugged in. And so when it gets lifted, the little bobber thing, and it goes back down, and I'm telling you, fire hose starts blowing out of the thing, and it is, and it is like pummeling, and I'm in the little contained space, and it is like, it is like actually zeroing in on me. It's like I turning, and it's like, no, 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 ah, your face, in your face, it just blow, it just drenched me. First of all, I, I first think the water's coming out and from the outside. I don't get it. Why is it? And then I realize it's coming up, I'm trying to reconnect it, and then I go, oh, there's a plug. This is about 30 seconds and 150 gallons of water later. I pull the plug and it stops. And I am a drowned rat. Water is cascading everywhere. I turn around and my wife is looking at me as she just goes. (laughs) That's great. You know, she says, oh, you got to tell people about this on Sunday. <laughs> and I'm angry and I'm agitated and I'm, I'm frustrated. And she says, it's okay. This is under control. Oh, I hate when she does this. She brings up my own words. She likes being all more godly than me again. And it hit me. This is the moment, right? This is the moment. It's in the middle of the moment when everything just feels, something unexpected comes and you have a decision to make. Is it still true in the moment? When the stuff is blowing and it's, and it's doing whatever it's doing, is it true? Is it really true in that moment that God is good in this? Is it really, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that he is in control in his grand sovereignty? He knew exactly what was going to happen and he allowed it to happen and he's accomplishing a purpose for it. And do I really believe that the end result of all of this, however it, it adds into what's going on in the course of my life, that he, God will prevail? I sat there and thought about it. And you know what's funny? I was clenched. My wife was unclenched. And suddenly, as that happened... She laughed, and I started laughing. And I realized in that moment, this is what this means. Let your gentleness be evident. You can can be unclenched about this. This is is okay. Now, I want you to think about this with me, too, because it's all nice and syrupy to say, okay, so just relax. You know, chill. But what are you supposed to do? I mean, does God, is God still aware, isn't he? That, that doesn't change the fact that really uncomfortable things come in our lives, challenging things, uncertainties come in our, in our lives. 
So what do I do with that? What am I, so, what am I supposed to do that? I, 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 There's a great quote that at uh, Summer of Theology this week, Rusty's class, he, he shared this quote, and I asked him if I could use it, from, from James Stockdale, who was uh, one time the vice, a vice president uh, candidate of the United States. He was a seven-and-a-half-year POW uh, in Vietnam, and he was tortured. And he said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end Okay, I got that part right because that's part of the three truths. With the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. The fact that you know you have faith that's going to prevail doesn't mean that you don't need to confront what's going on in your life. Well, how do you do that? Paul tells us. It's the next verse. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And then he says... But in everything. Okay, you're going to have all kinds of things come your way. So everything that comes your way, here's what, here's what you do with that. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In everything, the whole spectrum of news and challenges and stressors. Here's what you do. Remember, the Lord is near in the middle of that. So what do you do with him? You approach him. That's what the prayer thing is. This is not go through rote rituals. You approach him. And and so in everything, you approach the Lord who is near. And this is what you do with it. It says, by prayer and petition, my translation says. There's two words there. The prayer is like general relational communication. I want you to see what's going on here. I I want to invite you into this. Lord who is near. Lord, who is good and in control and will prevail, I'm going I'm to bring this to your attention by prayer and then petition, which I love this part because petition, prayer is a general awareness. Petition is specific requests, expressions of desire. Present your preferences to the Lord who is near. God gives us permission to approach him with those things and say, here it is. I don't like this. I don't want this. I, but but I'm moving toward you with this and I'm presenting. This is what I want to see happen. It's the desire of my heart. God, who is a loving God, somehow says, yeah, I take that into consideration. I do. I love you. Not obligated. I'll do what's best. You may not agree with what's best. You can trust me that it is, though. But I will certainly allow you to bring that. And then he uses the phrase, so you're bringing these things to him and it says, with thanksgiving. You see that? What does that mean? Thankful for what? See, we can be thankful even in the middle of the water splashing in our face. We can be thankful that there is something that's still ironclad, absolutely true right now in the middle of this. In fact, there are three things that are true. You know what they are. Those things being true can make me thankful. I know that that's still there. I can unclench because of it. See, I have an ace in the hole when I'm praying and when I'm walking through this stuff. And that, this is it. I've been adopted as a child of the living God. I don't just believe that there's a God. I'm not just coexisting with him. I'm not just trying to glean from every religion out there. No, he has shown me that there is a way, the truth and the life. He's offered it to me. He's opened a door through his son, Jesus. I've entered into a relationship with the Son of God, living Son of God, Jesus Christ. I've got that relationship. And His arms are around me and they are not letting go. Ever. He has got me. My ace in the hole is the one I'm talking to. 
the one I'm presenting this stuff to, he's got it. He loves me. He's promised it to me. Now, I want you to just imagine this for a moment, okay? Think about the situation that has you worried, the thing that woke you up most recently. The thing that when you walk out of here, it'll still be there and you go, go I don't know what's going to happen with that. I want you to just imagine for a second what it would be like for you if literally and physically, as you thought about it, you looked over and the risen Jesus Christ was walking alongside you. And you looked over and he said, hey. And if he said to you about that thing, what is it? Okay, think with me. That thing, the thing you just had in your mind, I know what you're thinking. And he had a look on his face that was calm and unclenched. And if he said to you, I want you to know something. I got this. I got it. What effect would it have on your spirit? If I knew that he would physically say that, audibly say it to me, I'd say, this? this really, this? Are, you do, for sure. And he's like, I got this. I got to tell you that something, when I imagine that happening, I think something happens in my soul, in my heart. I think I can exhale. I think I can breathe a little bit. I think I can take the next step. I think I can face it with a little bit more confidence because I heard from the man himself. I heard it from his own lips. He's got this. He said so. Paul the Apostle said, what that scenario has happened. It is absolutely true. By faith, you hold on to the fact that it's true. That, that the faith is, is as solid as if you could see it. That the Lord who is near to you in the middle of this thing is good, he's in control, he will prevail. Now, I've got to show you this because I worked hard on it. It's my seventh grade. Somebody said, let's look at my seventh grade science project. And if it works, I'm going to just be really proud. In your life, at any given moment, you can tip one way or the other. You can wor- tip toward being worried, or you can tip toward being Gen, uh, gently or clenched. Any, at any given moment, something comes in your life and those things can be true, right? Now, here's what happens. It's already breaking down. Let, here we go. Something comes into your life. Those of you who are on the side, says, worry, I'm on side. Same thing that was in Okay, so, see? Uncertainty. It comes into your life. It's insert, it, you didn't ask for it and it just inserts itself, right? And what happens when this comes is it brings a weight to you you don't have to make this happen. This will just happen naturally. Now, when that happens, it will shift its weight and it'll shift you over to this side. Isn't that cool? Huh? Right? Okay. Thank you. Oh, it gets better. Not a lot, but a little. And this is, that's where we live. I mean, that's, that's where we live. And this is what God says. He says there's just one little truth that you can introduce to that. Just one little thought that, that can have an effect. And that is that phrase. Yeah, but the uncertainty is there. But this is true. Remember that this is true. The Lord is near. What's that mean? It means those things, right? And if that's true, what happens is as we embrace that into our hearts, as we shift it into our lives, it doesn't matter how big the weight is on the other side, it has the effect. Magic. 
Thank you. Three hours for that three minutes. And when that happens, something results. The gentleness, the unclenched, produces some fruit. And these are the phrases you're going to see, you see over and over and over. There's an ability to, to celebrate internally the advance of God's kingdom in your world, regardless of what the circumstance is. There's an unclenching that happens that brings peace. Paul's going to say, I've found, I've discovered, I've learned the secret of being content in any circumstance, any circumstance. The result, just look at this in that last verse. Verse 7, when that happens, and it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace. Now, the, the word says it's a peace that is of God. And in the Greek, there's a, it's called the genitive of production or sometimes called an adjectival genitive. All that means is there's a peace that comes from a source from God. And that means it's distinct from any other kind of peace. It's not the kind of peace the world has. Jesus said, I give you a peace that's not of the world. It's a different brand. It's a different kind of peace. See, the peace of the world comes from having our circumstances aligned correctly, right? Getting what we want, being satisfied. That's how we feel peaceful of being safe and feeling like our, our, our world is cooperating with us. But this says, no, there's a peace, the peace of God, a peace that only comes from him. It cannot be duplicated or replicated. It can't be generated by us. It's produced by him. It comes from him. It's that particular kind. And what it's true about that is it transcends all understanding. You, human, human mind cannot, logic cannot figure out how can the weight be distributed such that just this is enough to outweigh and give me a, that kind of a peace? And you know what it says it does? That peace? It says it will guard your hearts and minds. There's a, that's a military term. It'll stand sentry in your life. It'll guard against the barrage of accusations or fears or doubts that can come. It will stand sentry over your mind and over your heart. But don't forget the last phrase. That happens in Christ Jesus. That's what it says. It is not because I'm going to church so I feel better. It's not because I prayed so I feel better. It is because the Lord Jesus Christ is near. In Christ Jesus, it has that effect. All directly connected to him. I'm just going to ask again, what, what are you clenched about right now? What is it that doesn't feel like it's headed anywhere good, that's out of control? What is it that's going to disrupt your life or has a potential to? What loss is there? What failure is, is making you worried? If even in this moment, in your heart, this is not something you conjure up, it's just something that you release in your heart. We embrace these things and the Lord who is near. He has the capacity to shift that weight so that we unclench and we can say, he's got this. He's near. My gentleness can be evident to all. Would you invite him to do that? with your situation? Would you trust him to do that? Would you talk with somebody else and say, this is what I need to release to the fact that he, the Lord is near in my life? Let's do that together.